you have your Bibles this morning with you, if you would find two places, Mark chapter 3 and John chapter 16. When you're finding those, I have two cards that I would like to read. You say, preacher, why do you read the cards? One, when you have multiple services like we do, and for most of us, a larger church than we're used to, it's good to be reminded that you are not just a number. You are not just a person that sits in that seat anonymously. You matter. You matter to the Lord. You matter to the church. And we are to love one another. Dear members of Ten Mile Church, thank you for the generous outpouring of love, prayers, and support this past week as our family has gone through two emergency surgeries. We appreciate all of the visits, prayers, child care, and phone calls. We are so happy and blessed to be welcomed into a church with arms wide open. We cannot be thankful enough. Love Troy and Hannah Donovan. So you continue to pray for her as she recovers uh, as a mother with a house full of kids. Ten Mile Church, Ten Mile Kitchen Committee, I cannot thank you enough for all of the love and support you have shown to our family. We are truly blessed to have you in our lives. The peace, Lily and Arch were beautiful and the meal was wonderful. Thank you so much from Louie, Elisa and Dwight, Stacy and John at the passing Sister Mary. And so remember that, that while we come to worship, we come to sing, we come to do all of these things that we are to love one another. And if you were here or you were not here last week, we started a brand new uh, section of the book of Mark chapter 3 as we go verse by verse, word by word. And we're looking at one of the most difficult and challenging topics in all of the Word of God. One of the most serious topics in all of the Word of God, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It is the one sin that cannot be forgiven. And I can honestly tell you that I told you weeks ago that when we started this last week, we would look at what the Holy Spirit does, that way we would know what it means to grieve Him. Because no matter who you listen to, you're going to get a difference of opinion. For the cold, dead Baptist to look at the charismatic movement, they would say, what's going on there is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. To some in the charismatic movement, what goes on here, they would look at it as a lack of evidence and say, this is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I've heard other people say that Jesus is in heaven, so blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not possible. But I believe all three of those are not faithful to what the Word of God says. And so last week we started to look at this. And I want you to find John chapter 20 with me. Because as we look at this, we're going to look at what we talked about last week and build upon that. Because as a pastor, if I am entrusted with preaching the Word of God to you, and Jesus says this is the one sin that cannot be forgiven, then I should handle it with care with caution, because to lead you astray will have serious consequences for the messenger of God. And so what does John chapter 20 say? If you remember, there was a man by the name of Thomas, and he had doubted that the Lord had risen. He had doubted that the Lord was the Son of God. And if you remember, he is shown the Lord Himself comes to him, he's able to put his hand in the nail-scarred hands and to put his hand in the wound on his side. And Jesus says, 
Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. But listen to what it says in verse 30 and 31. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. The reason that the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke were written was not just to tell you about the amazing things that Jesus did. Not just about the miracles that He worked. But they were all written so that you and I could understand that He is who He said He was. The Son of God. The only way to heaven. The Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so it is written so that the Spirit of God can begin to work in your heart and in mine to show us that it's Jesus or nothing. It's Him or no other way. And so when we think about that and we come to our text... We need to be reminded of what we looked at last week in 2 Thessalonians, talking about the end of times and the spirit of the Antichrist. Listen to what it warns in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, those who will die and spend eternity away from God in a place called hell. Because, why will they go to hell? Why will they spend an eternity away from God? Because they did not receive the love of the truth. Because Jesus said He is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says that what is love, God is love. The gospel of Jesus Christ being presented to lost and dying people. When the gospel is rejected, when Jesus is rejected, the Bible says there is no other way. But look what it says when you and I harden our hearts against the things of God. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusions that they should believe the lie. You say, well, wait, that doesn't sound right. No, friends, if you choose to reject Jesus and you choose to harden your heart, there will come a point when God will say, if that's what you want, you can have it. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. That's why the Bible says harden not your heart today. Because friends, when you come here, you either come with the gospel drawing you closer to Jesus or you leave worse than you came. You say, wait a second, you always tell us you leave the same way you come. No. When you hear the gospel and reject and harden your heart, you leave worse than when you came. The gospel is either the message of salvation or it becomes the stumbling block for you. But listen to what it goes on and says in verse 12. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had the pleasure in righteousness. So if you're here today and the Spirit of God is dealing with you, but you say, no, I love my sin. I love being the captain of my own ship. I love the... the the decisions I get to make. I don't need this gift of salvation. What the Bible says is, your love of your sin, your love for yourself, and your rejection of Jesus will separate you forever. Now that's the warning that we're given. 
But what does it say in Mark chapter 3? If you would stand with me out of a reverence for the reading of God's Word. If you are able, starting in verse 20. Then the multitude came together so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his own people heard about this, they went out and laid hold of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebub. And by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will blunder his house. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter, but he who blasphemes the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation because they have said He has an unclean spirit. Now in Matthew chapter 3, I want to read you the same phrase because I want you to see that it wasn't a one-time statement. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Pray with me. Father, we come asking for your leadership. Lord, we pray that as children of God, Lord, that I would not quench your spirit. I would not grieve your spirit. I would not hinder your spirit, Lord, as you are working. Today, Lord, I have nothing to offer, nothing good, no wisdom other than what you give. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that your word and the power of your spirit would be at work in this place, that you would be convicting, that you would be revealing, that you would be showing, Lord. Lord, I pray for those that are lost in this place today, Lord, that your convicting power would forever change them. And I ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. If you would flip over to John chapter 16, because we started looking last week at what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world since He came on the day of Pentecost. We have to know that because when we know what He is doing and how He is at work, then we see the connection to what Jesus said. If you know anything about who God is, the Bible says He is holy, holy, holy. It is the only attribute of God that is repeated that way. It doesn't say He is merciful, merciful, merciful. It doesn't say He is long-suffering, long-suffering, long-suffering. But it says that He is holy, holy, holy. And because of such, sin will not enter into heaven. It will not enter into His presence. And so something separates us from God for all of eternity if we choose to reject Him. And so what is this one sin that can't be forgiven? Because if it cannot be forgiven, then you cannot be saved. If you cannot be saved, you cannot spend an eternity with Him. So it is a big deal. It is a life-changing situation. We looked last week in John chapter 16, if you would with me, as we go through this. But now, 
Jesus talking. I go away to send Him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. And when He has come, listen to the three things the Spirit of God will do. He does more, but these are in regards to lost people being saved. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in Me. And last week we looked that it is the Spirit of God who deals with each and every person about their rebellion to God, their rejection of Jesus. We looked last week about how all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none of us who can approach God because we're good enough. We looked last week from the book of Hebrews about the Bible warns us not to have a heart of unbelief, to recognize that you're a sinner, but yet your unbelief will condemn us. Then we look from the book of John about how Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but that they might be saved. And we talked about how each and every one of us will stand before God and have to give an account for how we dealt with the light that was shined into our life. Think about what Jesus said to the city of Capernaum. If the miracles that had been done here had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have believed. And so what you need to know is when you have opportunity after opportunity to hear the gospel, to read the Word of God, in a, in a country where even billboards can, can cry out, repent, trust Jesus, you need to know that you have been exposed to great light, great opportunity, to hear the good news of Jesus and be saved. But friends, for those who reject that light, there will be a stricter judgment for all of eternity. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who does the convicting. He is the one who reaches into your heart and to mine and shows us that we are sinners. But what happens after He convicts? This morning, let's look at verse 10. The Spirit not only convicts us of our sin, the Spirit works to show us Christ's sacrifice for our sins. Look here in verse 10 of chapter 16. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. And so Jesus is saying, as I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die, I'm going to be risen, I'm going back to my Father, and after I'm gone, you are not going to physically see me anymore. But the Spirit of God is going to point you to me. He is the righteousness that we see. Jesus was sinless. That means He never sinned. That means He grew up and lived a perfect and holy life. And when He went to the cross and died and took my sin and your sin, when He took my punishment and your punishment, and He died for my sin and yours, something miraculous happened. He took my shame and my sin. But when He arose from the dead, something happened. 
For all of us who will put our faith and trust in Him, our sin and shame was accounted for Him. And His perfection and righteousness is given to us. We call that imputed righteousness. When God looks at me as a sinner who is saved by the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God, He doesn't see me in all of my sin and wickedness and shame. He sees the perfection and love and righteousness and blood of Jesus Christ. That is why I can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. Not because of who I am. Not because of who you are. Not because of what you do or what I do. It is because when Jesus took my punishment, He willingly gave me His perfection for those who believe. You see, that's why the Bible tells us that if Jesus is not the only way to be saved, then Jesus died in vain. That's why we believe as a church there are many things we can disagree about. There are many things that we can, we can fuss about. But there is one thing that must never change if you want to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the belief that there is only one way to be saved. There is only one name under heaven by which men must call upon. There is only one person who died and took away your sins and can declare you innocent. You say, well, Jake, I don't agree with that. That's all right. I'm going to show you what the Bible says. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Bible says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. You say, what does it mean to be lost? It means that you are an enemy of God. It means that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, you all and I have a sin nature. And when we're old enough to choose, we choose sin, wickedness, and rebellion. And because of that, we're separated from God. We cannot have a relationship with God. We have no access to God. We're on our way to hell and judgment and punishment. But God loved you. And He loved me. And He says, I'm going to come. I'm going to live. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise so that you and I, who are lost, could be found, who were broken could be made whole, who were enemies of God could be brought into the family of God. You say, well, Jake, I don't understand what this means. Well, look at Romans chapter 10 with me. Brethren, Paul is writing to the nation of Israel after they have rejected their king, their Messiah. The Bible says he went to his own first and they rejected him. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness. Don't miss this. Who were they ignorant toward? Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, John the Baptist says, There is one coming after me whose sandals I am not willing or not, not worthy. He then says, When the baptism of Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes like a dove, and the Father says, This is my Son who I am well pleased. When you read through the book of Mark, Jesus shows up and he delivers a demon possessed man. 
And the demon-possessed man says, did you come to destroy us? When Jesus healed the withered man on the Sabbath, when they picked the grain as they were hungry, and the Pharisees said you can't do that, they were rejecting the fact that Jesus was the Son of God, that He was the Lord of the Sabbath, that He was the Messiah, that He was the one that was sent to save and to change them. They were rejecting Him. And what Paul says is they rejected the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is Jesus Christ. That's why in John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit comes to convict of sin, to show you that you're lost. Then the Spirit of God will point you to righteousness. That is Jesus who loved you and died for you and has risen from the dead. He is the one that points us to the Father. Because look what it goes on and says, and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is this. When the Spirit of God convicts you of your sin, and I believe He at some point convicts every person who has ever lived. When He points you to Jesus, when you are willing to look and say, there is the Son of God. There is the One who died for me. There is the One who was the perfect Son of God. There is the One who can save me. It goes on and says, then there's a judgment. It shows you that there is consequences to rejecting Jesus. And you say, that is not of God. Friends, when you take your last breath, you have committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It is the only sin that cannot be forgiven. It is an unbelief in what God is trying to do in your life. And it will separate you from Him forever. You say, well, it's a different kind of sin. It can't be because if you believe, you're forgiven. The blood covers you. It's not talking bad about a charismatic church or talking bad about a Baptist church. It's not it. It is when you and I, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, God is dealing with us as a lost person. Look at God and say, that's not you. You're not worth it. That's what was happening in Mark chapter 3. The Spirit of God was at work. He had just been healing people. He had just been uh, delivering people. He had just been driving out demons. And the Pharisees show up and say, this is not the power of God. This is not the Spirit of God. This is not the Son of God. You see, now the Holy Spirit deals right here in our hearts. You say, how do we know that? Because the Bible tells us that when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. It doesn't just fall upon you like in the Old Testament for certain tasks. It comes, He comes to live within you, indwells you, seals you, secures you. And so that's how He convicts the same way, the heart. He points you to Jesus. And then He gives you a choice. Listen to what it says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. 
I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. He says, there's nothing righteous about the Old Testament law. It's there to show you that you and I are sinners. There's nothing righteous about the Ten Commandments. It is there to show you that you and I cannot keep them. And what the Spirit shows you is your sin and mine. But He doesn't leave us there. He's not like Satan who convicts us of guilt. The Holy Spirit convicts us specifically. Satan will say, you're not worth it. You have no value. You're too broken. Your past is too bad. God couldn't love you. The Spirit says, oh no, you are a sinner. You are an enemy of God. But He doesn't stop there. He then convicts of sin and then He points us to righteousness. The fact that we can be saved. The fact that we don't deserve it. We couldn't earn it, but yet He is willing to save a wretch like me. What happens right now is the halo starts to pop out. And people will start to say, well, I'm not that bad. I've never done that many bad things. I'm not really as wicked. Jake, I've listened to you preach. You're a terrible person compared to me. Listen to what Isaiah said in the 64th chapter. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and you have consumed us because of our iniquities. Friends, there is no way that you will ever be good enough. You'll be baptized enough. You'll take the Lord's Supper enough. You'll give enough. You'll go on enough mission trips to be right with God on your own. You must be born again. And friends, no one wakes up one day and says, I just want Jesus. That's not how it works. The Spirit is the one that does the convicting. How is it two people can sit in the same service, hear the same message, and one leave forever changed, and one leave cold and dead? Because as the Spirit works, you can choose to harden your heart. To reject Him. To ignore Him. To love the pleasures of unrighteousness, as 2 Thessalonians said. I can't choose it for you. Your parents cannot choose it for you. But as the Spirit of God works in your heart, you say, well, Jacob, How do I know that's what Jesus wants for me? Listen to what Romans says and I'll be done. I've only got one point. Last night as I was praying, in my flesh I said, I'm going to put all four or five of these sermons in one. I'm going to preach them and I'm going to be done with it because the amount of butt-chewings I take over stuff like this, I don't want them for four or five more weeks, okay? I love it so Now, Pastor, you know I really love you, but... Yeah, I'll kick you there if you don't want to. And so I'll be honest with you, in my flesh, I said, Jake, if you preach three or four more weeks on the Holy Spirit, you're going to have these people who don't believe He convicts everybody or these people who does this, or, and it's just not worth it. And the Lord dealt with me last night as I was being selfish and throwing a pity party that He said, you better preach like I tell you to 
because it matters. Because, friends, one of these days when you stand before God, you're not going to be able to say, I didn't know. I never heard this. Because you have been told what the Spirit of God will do in your life. Romans chapter 8 says this in verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed of the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. When the Spirit of God takes residence within you because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He makes you alive. You have put your faith and trust in Him. You have called upon the name of the Lord. And the Bible says if you have called upon the name of the Lord and believed in your heart, you shall be saved. If you're saved, you are forgiven. If you are saved, you are right with God. If you are saved, you have a home in heaven. And what it goes on to say but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. If you cannot take a sin with you to heaven, and it is the only sin that cannot be forgiven... The only sin that cannot be forgiven is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which means when Jesus Christ convicts you of your sin, points you to the Savior, warns you of a devil's hell, and you make the choice to say, no, I will not believe. I will take my unbelief to the grave, and I will spend eternity away from Him. It's the only thing that fits up with the entire Bible's teaching of why a person doesn't go to heaven. You've rejected Jesus. You've rejected the Spirit of God. You say, well, Jake, I don't believe that God's ever wanted me. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. You say, what, what, what about in Africa? What about in these other places? The Bible says that even through creation, people know that there is a God. And when there is a knowledge that there is a God, when the Spirit is at work, and if they want to be saved, God will send someone to them with the gospel. But if they say, no, I know there's a God, but I don't want to know Him, God says, okay. You can stay where you're at. Friends, today the greatest plea I can make with you, the greatest begging I can do with you today, is if the Spirit of God is at work, Don't say no. Now before I close, I want to make something very clear. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit as a lost person and grieving the Holy Spirit as a saved person are two different things. Grieving the Holy Spirit is when you are a child of God, the Spirit of God lives within you, but sin is in your life that you won't let go of. It quenches what God is trying to do through you. It limits what God will do through you. It grieves the Spirit of God. Friends, that's different. You're still a child of God. But you're removing the blessings from your life that God would want you to have. And if you live that way long enough, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, God will bring some things into your life to get your attention whether you like it or not. Sometimes sickness and sometimes even death. But today you're here and you're lost 
You say, Jake, I've been baptized. I prayed a prayer when I was eight years old. I'm asking you today, do you know what the Bible says that you will know that you are a child of God? If you don't know today that if you were to stand before God, you could tell Him, I'm a child of yours. I love you, Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that you died for me. I know that I have called upon your name. If you're here and you cannot say that, don't wait another day. Because tomorrow is not promised. Today is the day of salvation. You say, well, Jake, I'm a child of God. I don't have to worry about blasphemy, the Holy Spirit. If you're not worried about commitment, that's a dangerous place to be. As Adrian Rogers says, if you're worried about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, you haven't. Because, friends, when you cross that line, there's no coming back. And so today, God loves you. He died for you. He wants to save you if you let Him, as the Spirit works. Father, I thank you so much for your word, not mine. Lord, I know that I've not done it justice. I know I've stuttered and stammered and had my own doubts, Lord. But I trust you in your word. I pray today, Lord, that I have honored you, your son, your spirit, and you as the father. Lord, I pray in this place today, Lord, that your spirit is at work. Father, we ask for you to do amazing things. Lord, as a church, we pray that you'd soften our hearts for the sin that is in there, Lord, that you'd convict us, that you'd deal with us, that you would use us for your glory in a mighty way. But Lord, more important than anything, Lord, I pray for that man, woman, boy or girl that's here today that doesn't know, that's lost, that's on their way to an eternity away from you, God, that your spirit right now would do conviction that only he can do. Lord, that He would point people to Jesus only like He can. And that He would warn them of the judgment to come if they reject You. Father, we pray for salvations today for Your glory and Your glory alone. Lord, I pray for that family member that's got a lost person in their life today that they would find a spot in this altar and pray for them by name, Lord, that You would work and move in their heart and life and that you would honor the prayers of your people. And Lord, I ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.